because when you get knocked down, don't get back up. Because when you get knocked down, learn why you got knocked down before you get back up. <laughs> and if you learn why you got knocked down, you're not going to get knocked down the next time, or maybe not as often. So, I mean, it was just there is something that that really stuck with me and a quality of people that, yeah, hey man, don't just don't just keep going. Learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, when we lose a ball game, what? What are the things, and not the physical errors, what are the things that maybe we could have done better to prepare for something? You know, the, those are the things where the most successful people, I think, are the ones looking to get an edge, trying to find a way to get better in everything they do, and really learning from the times that they have those setbacks. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This is your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. For the first time listeners to our loyal crew who dials in each week, it is all about challenging ourselves as coaches to continue to grow and find new ways to learn to compete against who we were, what we knew, and even what we taught yesterday so we can be better today. This is a special group of coaches who live inside this community, and we welcome each of you with open arms. First, with the reminders to subscribe, review, and share. These are the keys to growing inside the podcasting world. Subscribe to the show on your phone, your computer, your tablet. Follow the links on Twitter or on our website. You can find us wherever podcasts are free. Leave us a review on there. Five-star ratings are always great to see those come through. Plus, share this show in all the ways that you can, through social media, through text. Just think about positively affecting the people inside your baseball circle if you turn them onto this podcast. What if you change their learning routines and maybe even change their careers? Could be a great story. Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ABCA1945. Head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about, also please feel free to reach out to me directly at CoachSheets3 on Twitter or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. This group is fantastic at sharing when and where they find time for these shows inside their cars on recruiting trips or just traveling with the family. They're cutting grass at their home or at the ballpark. Had a few come in last week at the gym working out. All of it's deadly, and we can't get enough. It fires us up to see you guys finding new ways to mix these in and digest this audio gold. So, again, keep those coming. Huge thanks to our great friends and longtime partners over at Rawlings, and they want to make sure that we all know about their new Quattro Pro Bat. Now, this is a collision of the very best technologies. It's a combination of a newly constructed inner barrel That's going to offer us a larger sweet spot, which is always a plus, and a faster, more balanced swing, while at the same time, it eliminates barrel drag through the zone, and that's thanks to the stiffer, focused flex from the redesigned collar assembly. Now, they're so confident in this bat's performance that Rawlings is backing it with a 30-day performance guarantee, ensuring that if the hitter isn't satisfied after hitting it for 30 days, they can send it back. It's available in multiple weights and lengths. You can also check out the new Quattro Pro Bat and the entire product line on their website, Rawlings.com. 
That's Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. We hope to see you join Team Rawlings today. Also, we are sure to have some new listeners checking into this show in particular, as within this podcast, we're going to be announcing the eight winners of the ABCA and Driveline Baseball Dallas Convention Scholarships. This was the opportunity to win a free convention registration for each winner, plus $400 to put towards their expenses to get them to Dallas this January for four days of baseball heaven. Now, we had over 500 applicants across all levels of baseball submit their materials for this, and we randomly selected our winners. And those eight winners are, drum roll please, Come on, you really thought it was going to be that easy? (laughs) Like right now in the intro? No way, not happening. Be better than that, fellas. Inside this show, we have that release. So stay dialed in, enjoy a great convo, and those winners will hear their name called over the air. So stay dialed in. You know, when you look over the demographics inside of our membership, high school coaches make up about 40% of our base. And we love to bring those guys into the spotlight, hear about their journeys inside the game. So this week, we dialed up Eric Borba, the head coach at Orange Lutheran High School out in California, to have him open up his very unique story inside of coaching, how Borbs has grown as a leader, and truly finding the path in coaching towards what really matters at the end of the day, the relationships with his guys. This is great as Borbs discusses how he has built one of the very best high school programs in the entire country, cementing a true championship culture plus bringing the parents of his players along for the journey. This is going to hit home for every coach, but particularly the other high school and travel coaches listening in, we're just honored to have special men like Coach Borba inside the ABCA and are excited to bring this one to you this week. So pull up a bucket with us, guys, as we cross a few time zones here to connect with Orange Lutheran High School head coach Eric Borba. He is our guest on this week's Dugout Chatter episode. Get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We're heading back into the high school ranks with a very special coach, a guy that's loyal inside the ABCA, but more than that, man, doing some fantastic things with his program, how he's building young men, and a perfect, perfect guest for the podcast. We're going to welcome in, all the way from California, Orange Lutheran High School head coach, Eric Borba. Borbs, thanks for jumping on the call with us. Hey, Sheets. Thanks for having me. This is exciting, man. As a fan of the ABCA for a long time, uh, to, to just be a part of it, even though a small part, is is awesome. Uh just jacked about being here and getting an opportunity to talk with you. That's awesome. This is going to be a great conversation. There's so much that, that I feel like you have to offer our listeners, and we're going to dive into a lot of that. But where we always start, as you know, we talk about the ABCA. And again, we're on behalf of the association. You've been a 12-year continuous member inside the ABCA. It, it certainly shows that it means something to you to be part of this fraternity. So if you could, Borbs, just kind of open up what the experience has been for you. So if there's a listener out there, like why should they think about the ABCA, but what's the association done for you, the conventions, barnstormers, whatever it might be, what's that done for you to help you grow you as a coach? Well, I'll tell you, I've been coaching, this is my 20th season as a head coach, and I didn't know anything about the ABCA until about eight years into it. Mm. My seventh or eighth year, I don't remember, Scott Lamoni, uh, my pitching coach at De La Salle High School, uh, told me he was flying back to Indianapolis on his own dime to go uh, go to the ABCA convention. I didn't know much about it. Hmm. 
uh, he got back and, and told me all about it. And I was just fired up from there. He brought me one of those little notebooks. I don't know if it was a diamond or Rawlings notebook or something. And <laughs> sure. Got me all jacked in. I started doing my research, you know, uh, talking to people and, uh, decided to go the next year on my own dime and uh been going every year since and i'll tell you mm -hmm. it has changed me tremendously as a coach just uh not only with my baseball philosophies and how i go about doing a lot of the things i do from in practice daily routines to to uh how i manage people mm -hmm. and how how much more it is than just baseball mm -hmm. and uh you know furthermore the relationships you build that that fraternity of coaches that you get to meet and deal with when you have 6,000 guys in one place for a weekend, uh, you get, you get the opportunity outside the conference room to, to speak to these guys, develop relationships. It's, it's helped me with networking with college coaches to, you know, discuss the players I have to help them get to the next level, which is a big part of what we're doing. It's helped me to grow and meet people to, to give me opportunities, you know, and it's just, it's just amazing. Um, what it is i call it disneyland for baseball coaches and uh you know it, uh, i won't miss it again as long as i'm alive so uh just just a great thing you guys got going the barnstormers i got the opportunity to speak at the barnstormers a couple yes. weeks ago at ucla and those are just tremendous it's it's really neat to be in that small group environment there's a lot of individual discussion going on in between and really reflected and you know that's i mean it's been said by a lot of coaches but we get all our stuff from somebody else you know and mm -hmm. uh and, and the things I pick up from, from every guy, whether it's, you know, speaking in the elevator to Tim Corbin, you know, in Dallas, or it's, or it's talking to a travel ball coach at UCLA, you know, you learn something from each and every one of them. And, and, and then you just kind of take it and make it your own. So it's really formed who I am as a person and as a coach. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for opening that up. You know, I want yeah. you to, I'm excited to hear you walk through this because you, you have such a unique story in baseball that again, walks us into uh, more of our conversation. So if you could take us through your career in baseball, walk us through each stop along the way, you know, and, and again, detail what that felt like, what that looked like. And I think a key point of this question is what was the, maybe the major lesson that you learned walking away from each stop along the journey? Yeah, well, uh, my career started, you know, I was a pretty good high school player, went on to the junior college ranks. Um, and then went on to play at Sonoma State for two years under uh, John Geltz, who's still there. He just got his mm. thousandth win last year, I believe, uh, at the Division II level. Just an amazing guy. And, you know, I had always flirted with the idea of coaching. Uh, but then in my later teenage years, early 20s, I'd, I kind of thought, eh, I want to make some money. I'm going to drive the Corvette and live in the big mansion and, <laughs> and do those things. And, uh, you know, as, as will be the theme with most of my stuff, I mean, there was somebody else driving my ship. And that's, you know, yes. the good Lord. And, uh, it's amazing how things work out. So I went to Sonoma state, um, to play ball. I knew that I probably wasn't going to go on and play professionally. I could catch and throw a little bit, but I wasn't very good with <laughs> swinging a wet newspaper. So, um, <laughs> you know, I had always thought that coaching might be something I'd do, but again, the money kind of, kind of pulled me the other way. Well, uh, my junior year, my first year at Sonoma state, we were playing actually at the master's college. And, uh, I remember clear as day in the dugout during one of our games, uh, coach Gelt said to me, you know, you ever thought about coaching? And I said, uh, you know, I have thought about it. I just don't know. There's not a lot of money there. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, when you get done playing for me, why don't you coach for me and, and, uh, see how you like it. And, uh, we'll go from there. Well, that was, that was the first kind of moment. So, Fast forward a little, it's a long story, sorry, but uh, uh, <laughs> I, finished my, I finished my playing career, um, and, and sure enough, I still have another year or so to, to finish my degree, and, and so I start coaching as a grad assistant at Sonoma State. Uh, fell in love with it. I was actually living with a, uh, a former teammate of mine. Uh, he was my roommate, 
and he was the JV baseball coach at a local high school that same year. Um, I'm 22 years old. He's the JV coach, and all of a sudden, the head coach of that varsity team has to take another job and leaves mid-season. So my roommate gets the head varsity job, and he asked me to uh, be his JV coach during that year. So being that I was already invested in in Sonoma for 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 that year, yeah. you know, I I found a way, got with him, got very creative, and I was coaching the high school team and coaching at Sonoma State. The wow. practice schedules <laughs> wow. and 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 my class schedules helped me to to kind of do both. And I'd miss, you know, I'd miss some things at Sonoma state here and there because being the head coach of the JV team, I made it a priority to be there. Right. Um, right. But I was able to, to get over to Sonoma at one o'clock, you know, our high school practice didn't start till about three fifteen, So I got a couple hours in over there at Sonoma and then I was able to travel with them most weekends being that we didn't play at the high school and, you know, making a long story longer. I just loved the experience. So, um, that summer following the first year of coaching, uh, there was a, uh, Another friend of the Sonoma State baseball program, another former player that told me the job at Annaly High School, a small public high school in Sebastopol, California, was open and that I should uh, <laughs> put my name in the mix. Well, I did thinking, hey, I just want to go through the experience as a 23-year-old guy. I'm probably not going to get a job. And sure, uh, sure enough, they hired me. Um, Chip Castleberry, the athletic director, and I just developed an amazing relationship right away. The interview, we hit it off. And he gave me my first opportunity to coach, and and that really steered me to to go and to get my credential. His wife was teaching at a junior high. She got me a teaching job on an emergency credential, so I was teaching math at the junior high and coming over. And so I coached Annaly High School for about twenty five hundred dollars a month with uh, not much as far as facilities and and resources, and uh, was teaching at the junior high. And and four years of doing that and had some success there. Um, had some great kids and some great families that I. I kind of came into a great situation. The guy before me had started like six sophomores Wow! Um, the year before. And, and, you know, um, so it was just a great opportunity for me as a young coach to have some experienced guys, but some guys that love the program. And we were fortunate enough in my second year to actually win a CIF title, which is the, the furthest you could go. Hmm. Um, you know, in California, we don't have a state championship. So, yeah. Um, I was at Annaly for four years. We had a lot of success there. And after four years, I realized that the grind of making $2,500 a, a year to coach and doing all the field work and all that, it just wasn't for me. I wasn't, I wasn't happy with, with everything on the side and the commitment, although I wanted to sacrifice and make the best program I, I could. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't, I, I wasn't at, at peace with where I wanted to go. So, um, coach Geltz at Sonoma state actually offered me a job to come back and coach with him at Sonoma State. So I was the catching coach in, in 2003 at Sonoma um, for one year. Well, in the meantime, I, I was coaching a Connie Mack team in the summer, and I had a few kids um, from De La Salle on that team. And uh, when, I, when I left to Annaly, um, my wife asked if I'd ever coach high school again. And I said, you know, I doubt it. I said, there's two jobs that I would probably go back to coach um, in high school again. One was my alma mater, Damien High School, Catholic school in Laverne, California. Okay. Just the opportunity to go back there. And the other one was De La Salle. And to be honest, I knew nothing about De La Salle. I mean, other than the football team had won 150 right. games in a row or whatever you know. it was. <laughs> and I knew it was a powerhouse athletics program. And I thought, you know what, it'd be cool. Mm -hmm. Well, one year after that, the job opens at De La Salle, the kids that I was coaching in the summer and their parents kind of put in a recommendation for me. I go down and interview and, uh, at, at the same time, I live an hour and a half away from De La Salle, but, um, didn't know how I was going to make ends work meet, but 
decided to go ahead and interview. And I drove down to Dallas. I had a great conversation with, with the athletic director, Terry Edson, who's, who's been a real mentor for me, but, um, about a week goes by, I haven't heard anything. And, and, and I'm down in Southern California now that, you know, uh, to paint a picture, I was in Northern California, about seven hours away, um, for college and whatnot. My family was still in Southern California. So I was home to visit family about a week after that interview. And I get a call from, from Terry and, uh, he says, you know, Eric, he goes, I really enjoyed you. I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the conversation we had. He said, but how are you going to make this work? You're newly married. You got an infant on the way. Um, I don't have a teaching job for you. I can only pay you three grand a, a year. Um, I don't want to be going through this process again and hiring another coach in a year. And I said, you know what? It's God's plan for me. I wanted to put my name in. It feels right. I don't know what the future holds, sure. but I know this feels good. And I, I, and I can tell you that anything I do, I'm going to, I'm going to grasp and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And you have my word that, that I'm not planning on just being here for one year. I want to make this mm-hmm. something I want to do. So, so I found a job actually at a, at a grocery store as a grocery manager. Um, I was working nights. Uh, my wife was pregnant that first year and I would leave on Sunday nights. Um, about nine o'clock, I'd start work at 10, 10 PM. I worked the night shift doing the ordering and whatnot at the grocery store. Worked till 6.30 in the morning because De La Salle was so far away. I actually would leave work at 6.30 in the morning and go to one of my assistant coaches' house down by De La Salle. And I would Jeez. sleep I would sleep on his couch um, basically from about 7 in the morning to about 1.30 or so. Mm-hmm. And I'd get up and go to practice uh, at De La Salle. And then I'd come back to his house, eat dinner. I'd go to work again. So I did that every day during the week. I, I had a pregnant wife, a newborn on the way. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't come home from Sunday night about nine o'clock until Friday evening after practice. Oh my gosh. Um, so, you know, but you do what you have to do to make things work. De La Salle is just an amazing place. Um, we ended up a year later moving down there, buying a house down there and, and things worked out. Um, but again, God, God led me to this place. It was awesome. Another, you know, place in my life where I learned a tremendous amount working there, coaching there with Bob Latticer, who's been called by many, the greatest coach of any sport at any level. Mm. Um, the head football coach there, just, just watching him, um, and, and being in a coach's room with him. I learned a lot there. Um, and then moving forward, I, uh, always wanted to get back to Southern California. So, um, some things didn't go right at De La Salle as far as off the field stuff. I was teaching again. I ended up going back, finishing my credential, getting a teaching job at a junior high. And, uh, and it was difficult because I was at De La Salle five years. Uh, again, God's plan, you know, doesn't always work out the way we thought. I thought I'd be teaching at De La Salle. Mm-hmm. I never got hired for a teaching job and it just wasn't the right place. So after five years at De La Salle, I decided uh, that it was time to move on and I resigned without having another job. Um, I thought maybe I wanted to get into the college ranks. I had talked to a few colleges at the junior college and the four-year level about coming on as assistant. Didn't really know what I was going to do, but I knew that my road there had had come to an end. So all summer talking to people, really not knowing. Uh, I still had my teaching job at the junior high, which was good, thank God, because my wife probably would have hung me. But uh, (laughs) – I remember back in July, early July, um, in 2008, I, I was in Hawaii for my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, they took the whole family back there and, and the second or third night, uh, I'm in the hotel room. I can't sleep trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my career and where God's lead me and, and just broke down in tears and got on my knees and, and prayed, you know, 
one of those moments that I'll never forget in my life and just ask God to lead me. And uh, I open my computer to look for baseball coaching jobs. The first one that comes up is Orange Lutheran. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I thought, man, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna make a phone call yeah. uh, tomorrow morning. And, and along the way, a couple of guys, a couple of the college guys actually um, had told me that I might be interested in the Orange Lutheran job. And I really didn't want to get into high school again. I thought after four years at Annaly and five years at De La Salle that maybe I, uh, I needed to be in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was like that final statement. God saying, man, you need to do this. I called the next morning. I talked to um, our athletic secretary, who's actually still our athletic secretary, Barbara Olson. And uh, I said, you know, I know your job's been posted for about a month, but I just, you know, feel led to, to call and find out what's going on. She says, well, coach, I got to be honest with you. We've interviewed about 20 to 30 people and we still haven't found somebody we want. The athletic director hasn't found somebody that he really likes. Wow. Um, and our, and our athletic director's visiting his parents in Tennessee right now, but, uh, I'll, I'll get a hold of him and I'll give him your number and I'll, and I'll make sure he calls you when he gets back. And I said, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, uh, I hang up sure enough within about three minutes, Terry, uh, excuse me, Mark Davis, the athletic director at the time at, at Orange Lutheran calls me coach, you know, and he's got this raspy voice and goes, coach, hey, uh, you know, Anyway, the secretary had told him about me. He called me right away. We had a great conversation. Uh, by the time he was coming back from Tennessee and I was coming back from Hawaii, it was really crammed. We're now the middle of July, almost late July. Sure. And he says, hey, why don't you come down and and, and let's meet officially. And, and <laughs> so I do. I drive down um, with my son from Northern California about seven hours and uh, meet with Orange Luth. And I go through like this intensive three-day interview process thinking I, I'm probably not going to get the job because they keep calling me back. <laughs> uh, and, and sure enough, they, they hire me. And so uh, he says, coach, the, the only bad thing is uh, I, I need you to be down here in two weeks. So, uh, <laughs> but we're going to help you with that. You know, and Orange Lutheran ended up taking care of the move. My wife had to give her notice of work. So she and my daughter ended up, or actually she and both kids ended up staying in Northern California while she, she served, uh, you know, her time at, at work and then kind of off subject, but along with the story, my wife's work didn't want to lose her. So they, they said, I know you're moving down South, but we don't want to lose you. So why don't you work from home down there? Here's a laptop. So <laughs> amazing, amazing how God works because we moved to Southern California. She kept her job. I get hired at Orange Lutheran. It's full time. I'm getting paid to coach and, and teach a couple of classes. I have a PE class, our baseball class, and I have a couple study halls. I mean, just a dream job. Sure. Um, and I come to Orange Lutheran, and, and it's been home. I mean, uh, this is my 11th season there, and I'll tell you that the school is just amazing. The opportunity we have to share our faith, to grow kids in their Christian character, as well as you know, play a game that we love, and that's that's really shaped who I am. Has just been awesome. So wow. that's kind of my my story as a coach. It's amazing. I mean, there's again, there's so many different pulls and so many things. Just like all of us, we have this. This story of our journey and and the inner details of them are are so intriguing for all of us that have had to sacrifice and you know you worked at a grocery store I worked at a metal factory like we all do these things to stay in the game and that leads us into this question Borbs when you think about the early years now throughout the course of that man you can see that you felt drawn to be a coach to to do this as a career to positively influence young men and and obviously be involved in the game. But early on, you said getting out of, of playing and, and really the writing being on the wall, what was, what was really motivating you? What was in your core as to, man, this is really what I want to do, but why? 
I think just seeing the influence that I was able to have on, on young kids mm. and, and the interaction I had with them, you know, um, taking kids and, and really, um, at Annalee the first year, you know, we had, we had kids, I mean, I was begging kids to come out and play. Mm. Um, you know, we had small numbers, it's a smaller school and, and getting kids just to get something out of baseball and enjoy being part of something greater. Um, you know, being part of a team and what that entails and, mm-hmm. and how that prepares them for life and how many life lessons they go through throughout the course of a season Man, um, was, yeah, it was just, it was just impactful. And, and I knew right away, this is, this is what I want to do. And, uh, I'm a, I'm competitive as anyone out there. I mean, I, I hate to lose. So I think that's what's driven me, but, um, you know, to continue moving up in the, in the rankings as far as high schools and, and where I am, but, um, that, that feeling there's not there's nothing that replaces that yeah. those those relationships you build with the kids. Well, you talk about spending 20 years in the coaching ranks and so if you could go back to that that young Eric Borba and and as you've looked at yourself grow in this space, um, look at it this way, who were you as a young coach? And and then as you kind of walk this journey, what were the lessons that that young coach, that that 23, 24, 25, 26-year-old guy, you still needed to learn and and again, the course of this is your growth as a leader, how have you really changed and become more comfortable standing in front of players, leading a team, leading a program? How's that worked for you? Well, I think as with anything else, it's all trial and error. You know, you take the pasta, <laughs> sure. throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And and over 20 years, I've, I've done a lot of throwing um, <laughs> and, and gotten a lot to stick and a lot that hasn't. Yeah. But yeah. I will tell you, when I was younger, you know, it was, again, being as competitive as I am, um, it was so much about winning for me. I, I realized that, that if, if we, I mean, if we lost a game, I was coming home, I was a terrible husband. I I wasn't the best father when my son came along a little bit later, I just put so much of my heart and soul into winning and then you don't win. And and all of a sudden your, your life is wrecked. Mm -hmm. And I think over the course of the time, I realized, you know, it's not about the winning it. Number one, it's about doing the little things and doing the little things, right. That's going to help you win more. So that was, that was the first thing is, is how do we coach to get better results. Um, you know, talent has so much to do with it, but the little things that you do and the detail and, and the, and again, the relationships that the kids have with each other. I mean, all those things lead to winning. And and I didn't realize that at the time I was a bottom line. Hey, we won or we lost. Here's our record at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, I failed as a coach or I succeeded as a coach based on how we did. And, and it took me a long time to, to, to realize that I was coaching, probably my third or fourth year in the, at that first at Annalee high school and coach Geltz from Sonoma state came over to one of my games to watch me coach. And, and after the game, we went out and had a soda and, and hang out and we're talking. He goes, man, you need to chill out. <laughs> and I, and I said, what, what are you talking about coach? He goes, first off, your kids follow you, whatever your attitude and your behavior is, that's how your kids and your players are going to react. Yeah. He said, and second of all, this is just a game. Like, let's remember we're doing this and this is a great opportunity for us to just, you know, learn because mm. God's plan is, is uncontrollable. I mean, you know, we can't control those things. So you're putting too much in it. So the kids are going to feed off you number one. So the way you behave is the way they're going to go about it. You don't want them playing with more stress and pressure on them and you're putting it on them. And, and that was the first time I really reflected and go, man, you're right. You know, every call, every ball or strike, I'm on the umpires, I'm on our kids when they're not performing, you know, on the physical airs happen and I'm, I'm jumping on them. I mean, we all know the physical airs are part of the game, but I sure. think just 
over the course of time realizing and 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 I, and I don't know that there's one in particular moment other than that one that but it's every year just finding ways to um you know help the kids to understand that too mm-hmm. i mean what you know one pitch although we want every pitch of the game to matter the most and want them to take it you know to that point it's it's not going to make or break us and it definitely doesn't make us or break us as, as people and human beings and so that's awesome yeah. Now yeah. I want to I want to open up your your conversation that we had at at the Barnstormers event there at UCLA. You talked about championship culture, and we've we've charged a number of coaches around the country. We have twenty of these clinics around the country, but there's been coaches at each of these that you know again successful high school programs, sometimes successful college programs. Can you talk to our uh, visiting coaches? Can you talk to them about building a championship program? Now, again, first weekend out the shoot for this fall of 18, and uh, Borbs, you crushed it. I mean, you really set the tone for the day as to your message and and, and what was really the nuts and bolts of your talk. And there's a couple things that jumped off. Now, we you, you kind of opened up your story, your philosophy. You talked about having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. What I, what I really got caught up early was when you were talking about, really, let's just take a step back and look at where we're at today. You know, what society looks like, the burst of travel baseball. We're really in the season of early commitments and and then the parental involvement and how all those things worked again. Can you open that up, that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh I think it's very important as coaches and with with you know, society changing and kids changing that we constantly change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh I talked how three, four years ago I thought social media was was, you know, straight from the devil and nobody should be involved with it. I thought the cell phones should be thrown away. You know, look where we're at now. And now now we have social media which helps us grow our program. I mean, it's a big part of the kids' lives. I think that the communication piece um now is l- these kids you want to get through to them, you know, you you do it through text messages. Yeah. As sad as that sounds for some of us old school guys. I think it's just an example of the things you have to do to get through to young people. And, and we got to constantly stay, you know, uh, above, we got to stay ahead of the game and we got to adapt our styles. So, um, just sitting back, like you said today, sit back and what can I do tomorrow? What can I do over the next month? What can I do over the next season? You know, that that's going to help us get better and reflect Mm -hmm. on what we did well and didn't do well last year. And, you know, not trying to tackle everything at once, but taking little things one at a time that that can make your program better. And that's what what I really try to focus on. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but but you know, you got to have a support staff for that. So when you're building a program, you want to get as many people as possible involved. Go ahead and jump into that because I think you know we're talking about your coaching staff. That was actually the video we ended up putting on on our Twitter was you talking about your coaching staff and building a group of really loyal and committed guys around you and how important that is for coaches to uh, consider what that staff can do for your program and how that trickles down. You want to open that up too? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I've been fortunate to have some really, really good people in my life and some some mentors and some assistant coaches that I've been able to use when I got to Orange Lutheran. My my father was was one of my assistant coaches, and Mike Sweeney, who was basically my second father. Uh, Mike Sweeney is the father of the Mike Sweeney that played for the yeah. Kansas City Royals. Um, they were they were two of my coaches, and these were role models of mine growing up. Mm. You know, and now I have Scott Stroud and and AJ Lamonda, Josh Rodriguez, um, Ed Deese, who's been at Orange Lutheran for for nineteen years as the pitching coach. I mean, these guys. Ed's been with me all ten years. The other guys have been with me for five or six until my dad and Mike Sweeney both retired. Um, you know, it's important when you when you're talking about a coaching staff, they're going to make or break you because I number one, you need coaches that are loyal and committed to you. Um, there's not 
millions and, you know, an infinite number of coaches out there that, that are going to coach baseball at the level you want it to. So you need guys that are loyal and committed to, to you, to your program, to your families, to what you're doing, and that are really going to carry on that message on the field. They got to be role models with, with, for the kids, you know, they, the kids are looking up to the coaches as coach Gilt said years before, um, you know, they're looking at, at the, at the coaches. So you got to surround yourself with guys that are committed and loyal and that are really going to be role models for, for the rest of the kids and the baseball stuff we can coach. I mean, just like we can coach kids, you know, we can coach coaches on the baseball stuff and how we want to go about teaching, getting a lead or teaching secondaries or teaching, you know, mechanics for, for hitting or fielding a ground ball. We can teach them that stuff. So number one is getting coaches that are loyal and committed um, to you and your program. That's, that's the big thing for me. And then, you know, it, it goes side by side with the administration and, and the staff at the school. Um, it's a big part of, of everything we do at Orange Lutheran. Our administrators are a huge part of what we do and they give me a, a pretty long leash to do the things I need to do in our program, which, which I'm very thankful for, but they're a big part of it because as we all know, when, when athletic directors and principals and, and, you know, even school boards are, are making decisions that are affecting your your program. You want them to, um, you know, smile when they think about the program. They want you want them to trust what you're doing and that it's doing really good things. Because if you can get them on board, those decisions are gonna gonna you know go a long ways. And it, it, it goes with one of the things my junior college Sean Severance taught me is always make umpires your friend. Like it's it's the same kind <laughs> sure. of thing because that borderline call might go your way. It's the same thing with your staff and your administration. You yeah. want them on your side. So, you know, I spend a lot of time giving our administrators, our teachers, um, you know, clothing, hats, whatever it might be, uh, making them feel like they're part of our program and trying to thank them, you know, for everything that we do. We, we do something cool to our program. We do a teacher first pitch. So before every home game, we have our senior players pick a teacher that they want to throw out the first pitch and we honor that teacher. That's cool. You know? So it's just an example of, of things that we do, but getting people on board. And then, you know, you mentioned it. The next thing is, is the parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, you know, especially at the high school level, the parents are involved, whether we like it or not, they're going to be there. And we're in a, we're in a generation where, where, you know, mommy's walking into the dugout, bringing Gatorades or daddy's, you know, carrying their bag from the parking lot. It, it is the society we're in. And although that's not the culture we grew up with, it is what it is and we have to adapt to it. So I think getting the parents on board and, and building that trust with the parents, I mean, ultimately the four years in high school that I have the opportunity to work with kids are the, the most important four years of their lives. And so it's a collaboration with the parents and the coaching staff to really understand that these kids are being prepared for life, Gosh. you know, which is one of our school models. It's, you know, it's, it's strengthened by faith and prepared for life. And, and that's what we do in our program. I mean, you know, so under, getting the parents on board with that, we do a lot of things with our parents to, to get them involved. Now, don't think I'm nuts here and the parents aren't, you know, in my ear talking about playing time and those things. It's, it's really important for coaches to set those boundaries with parents. And, uh, you know, I have them very involved with booster clubs. We do tailgate parties. We do something called extra innings where once a month we go to a pizza party. It's just parents and coaches, you know, um, mm-hmm. things to build those relationships. And then we set the boundaries as far as, you know, playing time and, and, and baseball specific things. We don't want to communicate with them. I actually have a, a rule in my program and <laughs> I don't know if all coaches can get that in because their administration administration has, has to back this up. But if a parent talks to me or one of my coaches about playing time, their, their kids suspended for five games and uh, wow. you know, parents jaws hit the floor when I say that in our parent meeting at the beginning of the year, but it's just one of those things where 
hey, this is my job, and we have experienced coaches that are that are here making these decisions, and and you can trust that we love every one of these kids, but we are paid to win, yeah. you know, and 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 that is a big part, and the best players are going to go out and go out and play. And if your kid's doing the right things on and off the field, he's going to be in a better position to do that. And furthermore, if you're doing the right things, you know, off the field, your son's going to be a better position and that parents can directly influence their kids, their kids performance. And a lot of people say, you know, you can't punish the kid for, for the parents behavior. And I I went with that for a long time, but I'll tell you, parents were using that to their advantage. And, and again, getting to the, the boundaries, setting those boundaries with parents and, hey, it's not OK for you to do certain things. It's not OK for you to come talk to your kid during practice or a game. You know, it's not OK to approach a coach and say, why is my kid not playing shortstop or hitting third? Those those things are are not OK. We're, we're going to talk to you about, you know, college stuff. We're going to talk to you about injuries. We're going to talk to you about academics. We're going to talk to you about faith. You know, the, those things. Let's go. Let's sit down and chat. My office is open to you. But when you're going to talk about my style of coaching, how I'm coaching, or what your kid's getting, you know, as far as playing time and and that stuff, it's it's off limits to us. <laughs> I could feel literally through the airwaves every high school coach in the country fist pumping right there as you were breaking <laughs> that down. Borbs, I appreciate you opening that up. There is some great takeaways. And I think we're – I was kind of laughing to myself as you were talking. I think there's a um, – and you hear this often, and you hear it in coaching circles – you know, I tell the parents right from day one, hey, we don't do this. And that's okay because you definitely have to draw the line in the sand. Here's where you can't cross. But what jumped mm-hmm. off to me, Borbs, was how you were willing to, yeah, draw the line in the sand, but you still crossed over that line to make them feel like they were part of the family. They still had a place to to, to, to roam in the program as opposed to, I need to regulate you over here to this corner and that's where you stay. And you know that just creates rebellion out of, out of most parent circles. Absolutely. Uh, parents can make or break us as high school coaches. They really can. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to have the families that we do in our program to buy in, um, and to be at the level we're at, you know, I mean, it's, it's really developed over a long period of time. I didn't have that rule. My first, you know, 10 years of coaching when I came to Orange Lutheran's when I put that in Hmm. and it's just been, it's been amazing, but you know, you get, you give them, um, what they want. And that's really, you know, that, their kids in good hands and and you show them that. And, and with a lot of coaches, if you don't take the time to build those relationships, they don't see that. They don't know you other than just a guy wearing a uniform on, you know, under the lights, you know, between the lines. And, and, you know, so we preach a ton about family in our program. I try to have my family involved with as much as I can when we're doing our events. I want my wife and kids there as much as possible. You know, I'm fortunate enough to be, to have parents that have been married now for over, you know, 45 years and, uh, they really set the tone for me, but, but it's all about family and, and, you know, we're trying to get the, the, the team and the kids to buy into the, you know, the philosophy of brotherhood. Well, it starts by, you know, what are your values at home? And we want those same values here. So we spend a lot of time with that in the preseason in the, in the fall and whatnot, going through that with parents. Wow. A uh, key word that came through some of that was the word trust. And I just want to let you know, Borbs, that on this podcast, you are inside the trust tree. And um, <laughs> there was a there was a great story you were telling out in UCLA that was really super transparent and, and super honest. And, you know, we talk about pull back the curtain uh, and we will definitely get to some of that stuff uh, as we get into this interview. But pull back the curtain on that story you talked about a couple of years ago, it had a really rough season with a lot of high expectations and how you dealt with it and how you came out of it. Yeah, you know, 2000, uh, what is that, 2017 season, so just two seasons ago, um, 
we had probably the most talented team I've ever, I've ever been a part of. Um, we had 12 division one guys on that team. Uh, we were ranked number one in the country by several, um, publications going into the season. Um, and we had, we had a lot of problems, uh, early on. We had some kids getting in trouble on, on a road trip in the late fall, um, we had kids that were not pulling the rope the same way, if you will, guys wanted to be on the field. And, you know, one of the things in today's day and age is I feel like too many people are pushing other people's down. So they pushing other people down so they can get to the top. And it's not about that. You know, we use those other people to help us get to the top in a, in a positive way, but don't push other people down. And, and that year just seemed to be one that, that all those things went, went kind of haywire and we lost control. I lost control as a head coach. I take full responsibility for it, but, um, you know, we, we somehow pulled it together when we got on the field starting in February. I mean, you know, because of the talent and the excitement coming for it, we were kind of smoking mirrors. We started the season 12 and one, we went out to North Carolina, we won the NHSI, um, and everything was going good, but you could really see when we came back from the NHSI that, the team dynamic was gone. It was no longer about team. It was about me. And we made some difficult decisions to win that championship in North Carolina and moving some pieces around and not playing some guys. And, you know, we came back and, and it just started, um, bad attitudes with kids. You know, it's coming from home. Parents are talking and, uh, it just led to a miserable last two months of the season. Um, we had our worst finish in the trinity league that we've ever had i think we finished four and 11 something like that in the trinity league five and ten something i mean we went from being 12 and one to finishing the season at 18 and 12 so six and 11 or something um over our last 17 games and man the floodgates open i'll tell you parents a couple of parents were coming after me um to the administration um saying that i'm verbally abusive and you know i don't care enough about the kids and it was just really a grind and it took my love away for, from coaching for a little bit because those last two months were, I mean, it was dreadful to go to the field for the first time in 19 years. I really didn't want to go to practice. I really didn't care to be around it. And it was like, let's just get through that season. I think you could feel it from the kids, the families. I mean, we ended up somehow getting in the playoffs because of our tremendous preseason and what we did. And we go into our playoff game and we get no hit in the first game. And <laughs> wow, it just shows you that, the team, you know, camaraderie and, and what you build really carries onto the field. And it really was a eye opener for me. Cause I'll tell you, I, I wanted to, I actually thought long and hard about stepping away from coaching. I thought maybe I'd gotten too old and, and the kids and, and the families weren't something that I can handle. And I took some time away from the game. I went on an awesome two week vacation to Alaska, landed and sea tour with my family and, and just got away and wanted to clear my mind. And when I left for that trip, I really thought I was going to be resigning when I came back. Well, gave me some time with my family, some time to reflect, some time to pray. And, and I realized that I didn't want to let one rough year, um, you know, decide or change what I've loved, um, for so long and, and what's really helped to shape me, like I said, for, to be who I am. And so I thought, man, I want to give this one more shot, but again, it's going back to this reflecting and what, what, what mistakes did we make along the way that led to that? Because ultimately I, you know, somewhere I went wrong. Yeah and, and didn't communicate things. And, and it just, although I had all of the same thoughts that I do now, as far as how I wanted to do things, I just wasn't as intentional with them back then, you know, even two years ago. And now it's become much more intentional in what I do. I started with the first parent meeting that next summer or that next fall. Uh, 
talking about how we are all one team and we're all one family and that every parent there is a big part of it. And that number one, we're not going to tolerate, um, you know, that, that behavior and that what it takes. And it's just very intentional on my end at every time, every time I interact with the parents Mm. to preach about family and what the roles of family members are, um, you know, and, and the school helped me a ton too, with that, that whole process. I'll tell you, you know, in today's day and age, parents with money can get coaches fired in no time. Sure. It's kind of, it's scary. And, and I'll tell you a couple of those parents that, that came after me a couple of years ago. I mean, uh, the school asked them not to come back. I mean, so mm. it was, it was pretty amazing the support that I got from the administration. Um, you know, and you find yourself, it's challenging moments as a coach. Cause you look in the mirror and you're thinking, man, am I really doing things? Am I saying things that are verbally abusive or, you know, and it, it really humbles you It knocks you down. And, yeah. uh, but, I'll tell you, you know, um, Jake Olson, who I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a blind snapper um, for USC. USC, He he was a long snapper at Orange Lutheran, and uh, I've heard him speak at several different things. And one of his biggest things is every setback is a setup. And uh, it was a big setback for me, although a lot of people on the outside didn't see that. Um, You know, it was another turning moment in my career. And and last year, 2018, was probably my – my best year, uh, just from feeling loving going to the field again, loving what I'm doing. And, uh, it was just a tremendous season. We had the most success orange Lutherans ever had. Uh, we won the national high school invitational again, but then we came back to win the Trinity league. When we got back, we didn't fall on our faces and we, we, uh, <laughs> we ran away with the Trinity league. I think we won the Trinity league, which is arguably the toughest league in the country. I think we won the thing by four or five games and, uh, just, Really did very well. We we ended up going to the semifinals of CIF in Division One, which uh, is just a gauntlet, single game elimination, and anything can happen. We got beat four to three by the eventual champion Capistrano Valley. But you know, even at the end of that year, it wasn't it wasn't a year at the banquet where kids were disappointed um, mm-hmm. and the coaches weren't disappointed. I mean, the things that we accomplished and the things that we went through off the field to, to overcome the adversity we had faced the year before led by, I mean, I had six seniors last year and they were tremendous um, in helping to change that culture. But last year was probably the best year of my career. And I think it really goes back to being intentional and building relationships and building trust. Gosh, so good. Um, you talked about the National High School Invitational, and of course, that's right up the road from us here in Greensboro. That's in in Cary at the USA Baseball Complex, and uh, I want you to talk about that tournament, but also talk about the USA Baseball. Your career has really intertwined in what they've done, and certainly now it's affected your family on another front, but talk about uh, the, the High School Invitational, but also USA Baseball. So starting with the NHSI, I got a call in, in 2011 from Rick Riccobono, um, you know, kind of describing the vision that he and the USA baseball staff, Paul Seiler and, and uh, that they had for starting this national high school invitational, which would give the best teams in the country an opportunity to, to compete against each other in one, one area. We accepted the invitation. We went to the NHSI. It was really the first time we had traveled out of state as a, as a program and just being asked to go there was such a huge honor for our program. Uh, you know, it's, it's about $50,000 for us to go there, but we, we rounded up the troops and, and found a way to get out there. We went in 2012, competing in the first ever NHSI, and, and it was just an awesome experience. I mean, our kids from 2012 still talk about that, that trip, um, and, and that tournament has just evolved into the best high school tournament in the country, if you ask me, for getting those guys all in one stage. Mm. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to be invited back. Uh, we went back in 2014. 2012, we went. We, uh, we got beat in the second round. Um, we got a, 
we were blessed to be invited back in 2014. Again, we, we, in 2014, we fly back there. Here's these California kids, you know, used to 70, 80, 90 degree weather. And we fly back to North Carolina in March and it's 29 degrees, uh, <laughs> frost on the field, 2014. And Oh, by the way, you got to face Tuki Toussaint at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Tip your hat. You know, we're, we, our kids are playing with more layers of clothing on they've ever seen. I think, you know, we all spent an extra 500 bucks just on clothing to prepare for that trip. Cause we knew what the weather was going to be like, but yeah. we end up getting beat one, nothing, um, in the first round, um, by, by Tukey, you know, he's pitching for the Braves. He's doing okay for himself. Um, <laughs> sure. so, uh, we went 2014 and then we were, we were asked again to come back in 2017. Um, in 2017, um, we were, we were able to win it, so we were invited back in 2018. We were able to win that tournament again, so we're going to be going back in 2019. Uh, I talked a little bit about the cost for it to go, but I'll tell you, just again, when you're being intentional about building relationships and preparing kids for the future, the opportunity to travel um, creates a lot of opportunities for kids to really um, – you know, get to know each other, get to know themselves to grow. I mean, you know, 90% of our kids are going on to play at the collegiate level. So they got to be prepared to, to go stay in a hotel room and, mm-hmm. and to travel and do those things. So just the whole thing behind the tournament, the national high school invitational is just an awesome experience for our kids. And if they ask, we're going to do everything in our power to get there every year. So we're excited about going back this year. So now, um, you know, that introduced me to USA baseball a little bit. I obviously, as a coach, had known about USA baseball, but didn't have any direct relationships with USA baseball until until the NHSI in 2012. So uh, we took our team back in t- 2012, and about two weeks after we get back, uh, maybe a little longer than that, a couple, couple months maybe, sorry. <laughs> uh, my phone rings, and it's Rick Riccobono again, and I'm thinking, you know, going through my head as we do when somebody calls, like, why is this guy calling me? You know, maybe we get to go back to the NHSI. Sure. Well, Rick asked me, hey, have you ever thought about coaching USA Baseball? And I'll tell you, I got a tear in my eye, mm-hmm. uh, and I said, man, have I thought about it? No, I've dreamt about it. I said, it would be unbelievable. He goes, well, you know, we watched, you know, we use the NHSI and the coaches. Obviously, your program is one of the best high school programs in the country. And we just really watch the coaches and how they interact with their kids and the things they're doing. And we just feel that you were, you know, you were somebody that we would love to have wear the USA uniform across your chest. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, we're starting this 12U program. And, uh, you know, we're using a lot of the best high school coaches in the country to get involved with that. Mm. So we're going to be out in, you know, Compton at the Urban Youth Academy, Compton, California, at the Urban Youth Academy this summer. Um, why don't you come out and work with our guys? You can just be like an auxiliary coach. You can hit some fungos. You can help them out with whatever they need, throw some BP. And it'll get your foot in the door, and it'll give us an opportunity to get to know you a little bit and see if this is something that, that's going to work for you. And I said, you know, um, I probably should call my wife. And I said, ah, you know what? No, I know my wife. She's going to be good with it. I'm in. So I got my first exposure to USA Baseball um, in 2013. I went out to the Urban Youth Academy and, and got to work with that first 12U group, um, the team before they traveled um, to the World Cup. And Dave Webb and Tanner Vesley and Terrence Freeman um, and Jason Sakani were the coaches of that staff. And, and I'll tell you, man, it was an unbelievable experience. When I get in the hotel room and I see the USA clothing that they give you and the opportunity to put that uniform, it's just it's at another level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it just really is because – uh, this is our pastime. I mean, we, we talk about it and I know it's a little cliche, but 
this is uh, baseball is America's game. And, and to coach it, in my opinion, at the highest level representing our country, um, and just getting that opportunity, whether it was one time I was going to put that t-shirt on to go to practice or, or now six years later, I mean, I'm just thankful for every opportunity that that's, that's brought for me. Um, and it, and it just led, you know, I was able to, I was able to be on staff as an assistant coach in 2014 that went to Mexico to play in the Pan Am games. And then in 2016, I was asked to be the team manager of the 12U team. Um, the last couple of summers I've been working with the 15 U group at the, uh, I was doing the national team, um, development program. And then I was at the 15 U trials this year. Um, so I've been involved with USA baseball every year for six years and, and, you know, it's amazing for me and, and whatnot, but I'll tell you the, one of the greatest things, just like ABCA, I mean, the fraternity of coaches at USA baseball and the opportunity to, to be in a hotel room with those guys or to sit in a restaurant with those guys for a weekend. And the amount of things that I learn um, that I take back with me is just amazing. So, um, again, it's, just, it's, it's God's plan. And, and somehow I've been fortunate enough to be blessed with some great opportunities. And there's, you know, hundreds of coaches out there that probably know the, the dynamics and the X's and O's, if you will, of baseball at a higher level than I do. But I really feel that someone else is leading my ship and, um, the way that you treat people really creates opportunities. And it's something we preach about with our kids. You know, one of my biggest sayings is good things happen to good people. And I tell them all the time, like I'm, I'm a nobody, but I've treated people well and look at the things I've had the opportunity to do. Let's open some of this stuff up. I mean, <laughs> I think a, a really cool, uh, dynamic is I know you're in the spirit of being a lifelong learner. I know that you're constantly thinking differently. And like you mentioned earlier through, through your answers, you're, you're able to look back and, and decide what went really well, where could I be better? Um, now, how am I going to go about being better? Which leads into this. Was there something recently when you're watching the game, again, just purely as a baseball coach, and you're watching it and you're going, I don't know, man, maybe we could do that differently, or I like the way that was said, or you're watching postseason baseball and you saw something that maybe challenged you as a coach. What, what would you dive into there? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing recently is the whole launch angle, exit velo stuff you know, on the offensive side of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always been taught and always preached, you know, hitting hard ground balls and line drives. And now it seems like, you know, there's so many people teach the ball, teach hitting the ball in the air. And, and these kids are being coached um, at a very young level to hit the ball in the air. And, and it's another avenue that's really opened up the team dynamic because at the high school level, especially where we're at, we play in a huge park. I mean, there's been five home runs hit at our park since BB course came into existence in 2010. Mm -hmm. So we play in a huge yard hitting the ball in the air at our places is, is not good. And I think, although I still have the philosophy of hitting hard line drives and ground balls with the coaches or with the players that we have at the level that they have, there is some element that now we're trying to, um, you know, invest a little bit in some of that stuff. Um, I'm never going to teach a, ball, a kid to hit the ball in the air, but generating backspin and those kinds of things um, are things that we're focusing on a little bit more with our with our advanced players. Um, so that's I see. I think that seems to be you know the the changing thing the most in our game right now. You watch the major league games and see these shifts and. You know, it still drives me nuts. I'm watching the Dodger game the other night, and you know, against the Braves in game three, and they got first, second, nobody out, you know, and they, you can't score because they got a shift on and you still won't lay down a bunt. And sure. It drives me absolutely crazy. But 
part of that is the game um, and how it's changing. And again, we have to adapt a little bit. I mean, nobody that ever plays for me is not going to lay down a bunt in that situation, but <laughs> I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to do that either. <laughs> sure. um, but I think, you know, it goes back to the communication and communicate, communicating with our kids that, hey, that's a different level. And this is a process. And understand that someday, hopefully, God willing, you're going to be getting paid to play the game and you can start adapting to that some of those things. But, you know, we start riding a bike with training wheels on. It's the same thing. So think of it that way in high school. We're not to that level yet. Yeah. So it's it's a constant work in progress for us as coaches. You know, I have freshmen coming in with the big high leg kick and the back, you know, the hands drop down to the hip and they're swinging, you know, straight uphill and uh, and hitting the top of the cage with everything. And, you know, we, we got to work and, and communicate, but it, it just opens that relationship process again and where you build trust and, and then these guys seeing success at the high school level. Mm. So. You've offered or alluded to some of this throughout some of the other stuff we talked about, but when you think about the word success, how do you define that? As a coach, um, I think success, again, is seeing your players go on and be successful at the collegiate level, going on and being successful professionally, going on and being successful as as husbands and fathers. Mm. Um, you know, I, it's been amazing. Last last year, about almost a year ago, exa- actually, um, to the day, uh, that 2000 team that I had at Annaly high school. So 18 years ago, um, the one CIF was inducted into their school hall of fame. And, uh, this sums it up best. So I flew back up North to go up for the hall of fame dinner and the ceremony. And we had, I want to say something like 16 of the 18 kids were able to make it. Um, and seeing where they are now and what they're doing. I mean, there's, there's a doctor in that group. There's, you know, one of, one of the kids who I actually still have a relationship is the athletic tra- trainer at, at De La Salle high school, um, that I helped get that job when I was coaching there. You know, he's, he's a father of two. I mean, and just seeing what they've been able to accomplish and then hearing them come back and say what the things they learned from me as a coach or experienced with me, um, that have helped them be who they are. Um, that's success. When you see your kids, I mean, there's not, there's not a time where kids are off from college on vacation and, and they're not coming back or kids that are playing pro ball, um, that are coming back home for the off season are not coming to school. You know, I got a, I actually got a text yesterday from, from Matt Hammonds, a pitcher in the Baltimore Orioles organization who graduated in 2013. Uh, you know, he's like, coach, you guys practicing tomorrow. I want to come out and say hello. I mean, hmm. I think success is seeing the aftermath. Success isn't what we see today or tomorrow. It's what we see over a long period of time and, and knowing that you're doing the right things, you know, and, and, and there's been a lot of kids that have played for me that I haven't had the best relationship while they're playing for me. And, you know, they don't agree. And when those kids come back and say, you know what, I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was talking about. Thank you, coach. I mean, that, that gives you that feel good moment and, and, and sure. makes you realize, Hey, you're doing some really good stuff. So that's success for me. That's outstanding. Take us into uh, a little bit into, and we're getting into the little boards a little bit. We're going to, we're going to open up and <laughs> again, we're keep exploring the branches of this tree. Um, but your daily habits or routines or the things that you do each day that you think really lead you uh, to be successful, or at least be at your a game and then resources you would share books, podcasts, things that you do that, that really accentuate learning. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that the most recent one that I'm really getting into and, and diving into is is Brian Kane stuff. And I know a lot of the coaches out there know Brian Kane. He spoke at the conventions. I've heard him a couple of times, but I've never really 
dived into his stuff and uh i was fortunate enough to to meet with brian last month um he was out at cal state fullerton and so we hooked up i gave him a ride to the airport we hung out he came over to school for a little while and and just diving into his stuff so one of my daily routines now is is getting into his 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 uh you know just his literature his his videos and and that kind of stuff so every day i'm spending time his five to thrive program i'm in right now reading the, or listening to those every day um, for me, just finding something, um, that I can use with my kids that day. Um, another one is, is, you know, you finding, uh, other literature, other pieces every year. We, we try to find a book that we use, um, that we use this year is the Brian Kane book that we use in our team. We do devotionals, um, in our, with our program, uh, you know, a couple times a week. And we usually try to find a, uh, a book and I'm drawing a blank on a lot of the names cause I'm terrible with names. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot of those things that I just try to try to use and, and they educate me, they educate our kids and they give us an opportunity to interact and grow together. And then we get into scripture a little bit with those things. So, um, that's something that I try to implement with our guys every day. Um, but my routines are, are, are pretty simple. I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm, I'm lucky enough that I don't have to get up and go, teach every day. Um, I work in the admissions department, so my schedule doesn't, um, necessarily reflect around the classroom schedule. I'm out speaking at a lot of schools and stuff. So although I like to have routines, my, my days change quite frequently because I might be going to a school one morning to speak. I might be helping lead a chapel to school, talking to eighth graders. Um, or some days I'm in meetings all day, you know, it just kind of changes, but I always try to find a time to, to get a little knowledge just to get, to get something that's going to give me an edge for that day, whether that's just reading a quote um, and putting a quote on our practice plan every day. I try to put a quote on our practice plan, and, I, and, and they're not the same quotes. I try to find different ones year in, year out. But that one quote is something that I try to reflect on first before, and then we try to talk about it at practice. Um, and it, it might set the tone for the day and how we're going to go about things. But that, that's basically my routines. I think the, pod, the ABCA podcast, the calls from the clubhouse are – amazing uh they've taken a little hit lately for me because i just moved we were driving i was commuting about 45 minutes yeah um for the first 10 years at orange lutheran so i'll tell you i had those podcasts rolling in my car for those 45 minutes and now i live about five minutes from school so i'm trying to find some uh some time in my day sure to, to listen to those things it's not as easy as it, as it was one of the downfalls to move in close to school but um you know i Again, like I said earlier, I think we get so much from other coaches. I am constantly trying to get something. I'm not a big reader. Reader sitting down and reading books isn't something that I generally do a whole lot of. But I will tell you that, you know, the Tony Dungy and Mike Shashevsky books, and and John Wooden, our whole school faculty, a few years back did a you know the study on John Wooden and you know the Pyramid of Success and those things, and and those have been some of the most valuable ones and. The, another book um, that I read is called It's Your Ship, and this was one early in my career that that had a huge impact on me, and I, I, I talked about it at the, at the Barnstormers by, by uh, Michael Abershoff, um, you know, and he just talks about what it takes to be successful, and, and it's amazing how it breaks down and empowering the, you know, on his case, it was the people on the ship, but for us, it's our empowering our players, empower them to take a role um, a leadership role and, and to do more. Um, so that's just an amazing book. I'm kind of getting off, ta off task here, but 
there's a lot of them out there. There's so many resources for us. I mean, you can, you know, a couple of clicks on the, on the internet and you can find so much, so much stuff. That's but right. I, I found myself just about once a month going back through, um, different booklets from the convention. I don't have as much time to turn on the videos, but I have every one of the, those 12, uh, convention books in my, on a bookshelf in my office. And I, sure. and I go to those all the time just to go back and see, Hey, you know, what did, you know, Rich Hill talk about what did, you know, mm-hmm. Kevin Sullivan talk about on the podcast and, you know, last year, uh, you know, yeah. Coach Price from Texas, you know, I mean, I listened to his, you know, not too long ago. I mean, just always trying to find something. So for me, you know, it's always trying, you know, it's that growth mindset again, getting away from the fixed mindset. Hey, give me one little thing that I can take with me today. Now you've earned it. Let's get into the winners of the ABCA and Driveline Baseball Dallas Convention Scholarship winners. Again, over 500 coaches applied for these scholarships. We randomly selected our eight winners. And drum roll, please. So here we go. Let's work our way down the list and announce our eight winners Starting with Jason Barrett from Volunteer State Community College in Nashville, Tennessee. We've also got Andrew Berger from Franklin High School in Portland, Oregon. Jason Hampton out in Rockland, California at Yuba College. Zach Johnston at Concordia University in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Will Lintern at Great Britain Baseball all the way across the pond. Matthew Judkins at Palm Beach Gardens High School in Florida. Brad Hamilton at Bondurant Farrer High School in Bondurant, Iowa, and Griffin Rod, Moscow High School, Moscow, Idaho. Gentlemen, congrats. We're excited to see you guys in Dallas. We will be in touch here soon from the national office to get everything squared away and get you ready to show up in Dallas in January. Thanks again for all those that participated, and we look forward to seeing all of you in the Lone Star State this January. Now back to the show. When you think about your most humbling moment in coaching, I know we talked about 2017, and that that certainly could be it. Is there another moment that maybe sticks out to you that really really still gets you today? Yeah, you know, I I've had a couple of them. I'll tell you the the De La Salle, the transformation from De La Salle and going to Orange Lutheran, the way um, you know that that all happened. Uh, we had a lot of success at De La Salle. I mean, I was there five years. We won four league champions and won CIF twice. We lost in the finals once. We had a ton of success. And, uh, I still wasn't hired as a coach on campus, which was really frustrating for me. And, and that fifth year, um, at Dale South, we, you know, we were having a good year and a, and a math position opened up something that I, it was the third time a math position had opened up in my tenure as baseball coach. And I had a math credential and I was passed mm-hmm. up for the third time for that teaching job on campus. And I'll tell you, that was humbling because it, it, it you know, it was somewhere that I loved to be, and I realized that that wasn't the long place, and change is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized I was going to be making another huge change in my life, and, and, you know, not only my life, but my wife and my two kids now that I have. So um, that was definitely a humbling moment, Is although it wasn't as much on the field, just off the field. And being a high school coach, you know, being a college coach, things change all the time, yeah. and and. We got to embrace them, and every setback is a setup. That's great. Um, What about hidden talents or hobbies? Is there anything that you're willing to release here over the airwaves? Maybe (laughs) make an announcement for the first time. What would you offer? 
I don't really have anything special. I will oh. tell you, I'm a, I love the golf, man. Okay. That's, that's, that's something I, I had a golf club in my hand at four years old and, uh, I was a pretty good player, um, growing up, but as we all know, high, uh, golf and baseball are at the same time during high school. So when I got to high that's school, right. I made the decision to give up golf. Some of my family doesn't look too fondly about making that decision <laughs> from a professional <laughs> standpoint, because I was pretty darn good when I was young, but, uh, I completely dropped the sport for about six years when I went to high school and junior college, and then I picked it up again when I got to college a little bit. And with with the lives we live and the craziness of it, I don't get out as much as I as I like to. But I, you know, I was down to a three handicap at one time. Now I'm probably about a about a ten. So uh, I love to play play golf. Um, and and other than that, you know, it's just it's really it's family. I love being dad at my son's games. He plays some travel ball, and I love sitting in the lawn chair and and watching. And and wow. it, it, it's just amazing. My daughter's a gymnast. She spends like twenty five hours a week in the gym. I love to just go and watch and just watch the interaction she has with her teammates and her coaches. Watch her grow and develop. I mean, I think as a father, those are the things that we we love the most. Um, so. I love hearing some of these things that come out of this question. We talk about the funniest stories over the years or any to jump off to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've got a couple for you. Um, really good ones. I think, I think one of the, one of the best ones is my first year coaching going back to, to 1999 at Annaly high school. And again, winning was everything to me back at the time to paint that picture. We started Oh, and five, I was ready to quit at 23 years old. I'm Oh, and five. I'm the worst coach in America. Uh, I shouldn't be doing this. What the heck? And, uh, <laughs> any, anyway, so the next, the next game we're playing my dad. And again, my family's seven hours away. So my dad shows up at my game. Um, the sixth game we're Oh, and five, he shows up and he's like, talk to you on the phone. Sounded like I had to, you were on suicide watch a little bit. So, and, uh, I need to get up here and, and see what's going on in it. And he gave me a different outlook and we ended up tying that first game that he was there, the sixth game. So we're now Oh five and one, we get a little fist pump and we're fired up. And, uh, it, it really was a turning point. So, so that team turns around, we go, we end up going 12 and 12. We get in the playoffs somehow as a wild card, all fired up about myself. So we get the pairings for CIF and first round, Hey, you're playing Arcata. Well, Arcata is about a three and a half hour drive. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Oh man, a bus trip. After this grind of season, we get in a bus, we go up three hours, we end up staying the night, but we go play um, round one, first time ever coaching in the CIF playoffs, and very good arcade team. They got a left-hander pitch, and I don't even remember his name. It's been so long ago, but sure enough, he's got a no-hitter going in the seventh inning. He walks a guy with two outs, and I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, unbelievable. We're going to get no-hit in my first game. What a memory this is going to create. Well, my nine-hitter hits a ground ball towards the four hole, but the second baseman's going to make the play. It hits my runner. Oh. And uh, according to the scoring, it's a base hit in the books, you know? Sure. So <laughs> it's a pretty funny story, but oh. my first playoff game ever coaching, we're supposed to be getting no hit. There's two outs guy. hits a weak ground ball. It hits a runner and we get one hit. My, first, I'll never forget that story. It's uh, like you set it up. It's I mean, that's a play that you guys have, right? Right. Break up the no, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And I remember it like in the newspapers and stuff, it was like one of those columns, you know, like, is it a no hitter or not kind of a thing? <laughs> sure. It was pretty funny. And then I, I got one more for you. If you got sure. time. Oh, yeah. I had, I had a great relationship with uh, Joe Aliotti is the Dean of students at um, De La Salle and his son played for me. So I, I, 
I think it was 2006 or 2007. We're, we're going on a road trip to, to play Clovis West, um, in Fresno, which is about a, another three hour drive. And we're van pulling We're all the parents are driving. Everybody's in different things. And we're on this road trip. Well, I'm with all the coaches in, in a, in a van or something. And it's April 1st. So, um, we're like, man, we gotta have, we gotta come up with something for April for first, you know, April fool's joke. Sure. And, uh, so Wendy Aliotti, uh, Joe's wife and, and mother of Anthony, um, uh, is full blooded Italian with that temper and that competitiveness and that we all just love. I mean, just mm-hmm. a, a fireball. And, uh, we're like, Oh, we got to get Wendy. How can we get Wendy? So we, we come up with this whole plan. We actually make phone calls to all of their family other than her and her husband to let them know we're going to set this thing up because it's a long drive. Mm-hmm. And so we call her, um, actually we call Joe and he puts us on speakerphone and, and I have a serious, I have a hard time having a serious voice, but as serious as I can have, I let her know that one of our alums saw her son out drinking at the bowling alley. Cause we knew he was at the bowling alley the night before with some friends. Yeah. So, you know, we, uh, we went on with this story, not to, not to be too long winded here, but we went on with this story for about an hour and a half on this road trip that her son was drinking. Now, now remember her husband is the Dean of students at De La Salle. So a lot of dynamics uh, at play here. Italian, a lot of of vowels. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of things here. Oh, you want to talk about putting a ball on a tee? I mean, it was all there for you. Sure. So this thing went on for about an, about an hour and a half and, and we finally told her and you could hear her. I mean, there's some expletives, so I can't say I'm on the air, but, um, it was one example of just building a relationship with a parent. So Mm. fast forward another month, we're at a tournament in Southern California and we're have a team dinner the night before Easter. And, uh, I just get done uh, praying with the, with the team and the families before we eat or something. And I don't remember the exact details, but the waitress comes up and, from behind me and smashes a pie in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, that's courtesy of Wendy Aliotti. <laughs> We're even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good stories. Those are two that just stand out as just really, really good moments. Oh my um, gosh. That is so. outstanding. That's awesome. First, first pie in the face reference on the podcast. We appreciate that. Um, yes. Few more questions I got for you, Borbs. And one, you know, you've talked about some of the mentors you've had, some of the ADs you've been with, certainly some of the the, the folks you've been able to either play for or coach with. And if you had to really sum it down to the three or four that you would really exalt, put on your personal Mount Rushmore. Who would those folks be, and why? It's it's not, there's so many people that are having an influence, but I would say obviously starting number one is God. Um, you know, everything is like I said, He's steering my ship, mm-hmm. and uh, really put a put a ton into Him. Um, and everything that I do, I mean, uh, he's the reason why we all exist and why we do what we do. So, um, that's number one. And then number two is my father. Um, my dad was my little league coach as many of those people out there. Um, he coached a little bit in high school, but, but never at a varsity coached lower levels at a high school. Um, but he, I mean, coached me from T-ball all the way through, you know, senior leaguer until I got to high school, whatever league that was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just the impact he had on how to play the game the right way and the respect for the game um, was just tremendous. And then side by side with that, um, Mike Sweeney, uh, who I referred to earlier, Mike Sweeney Sr., um, I call him Uncle Mike. But my dad and he coached against each other in Little League as I was growing up, but they were best of friends. 
and we had a, this competitive spirit and we'd end up going over to, to Mike's house after games a lot of times. And, you know, here's two, I don't know, men in their thirties at the time, probably maybe forties, mm-hmm. uh, just talking baseball. Sure. And I was the, I was a 12 year old kid still in his uniform and cleats sitting in that room, listening to them talk baseball. And, and those guys really, um, really framed who I was as a ball player and as a competitor and how I viewed the game. Mm. And then, and then John Geltz, who I referred to earlier, the head coach at Sonoma state. Um, he's, he's the reason I've gotten the jobs, the letters he writes for me when I'm applying for a job, the couple that I have and, and the conversations that he has, uh, you know, I was talking with the AD that hired me to orange Lutheran after the fact. And he goes, man, you know, he goes, uh, he goes, he really just put it over the edge. He said, my last question to him was, if I was, or if you were me, would you hire Eric Borba? And he said, he said, if you had, if I did, if I didn't hire Eric Borba, I'd be the dumbest guy in the world. I mean, just <laughs> stuff like that. Sure. I mean, but we have a relationship when things aren't going good. I call him, you know, I, I try to catch them when they're on the road down here. I mean, the, those three people in baseball have probably been the most impactful um, in my life and framing me to become who I am. Okay. Now, if you went into, uh, people like that, certainly they, they can factor into this, but the, the qualities of the best players, the best teammates, the best people that you've been around in baseball, I mean, what were the qualities, the, the characteristics, the traits that really you think rise at the top that we all need to be cognizant of? Yeah. Well, one of the greatest pieces of advice that I ever had was you got to surround yourself with winners mm. and, and, by winners, it's a, I mean, we could go on for days talking about what, comp- what makes up a winner, yeah. but you know, for players, that's, that's guys that come out are very diligent about what they're doing and, and do it at a higher level than anybody else. Not necessarily because they're stronger, faster, anything, but their commitment to being great at everything they do and, and paying attention to those details. Um, I, I think those are, those are the most successful guys, you know, uh, Cole Wynn, who went in the first round for us, right handed pitcher last year moved from Colorado, didn't have any relationship with him at all. He shows up and here's this guy that's going to be, you know, first or second rounder for sure when he moves to us. And, you know, you think, oh man, I've been around kids like this and he's probably gonna have a big ego and big attitude. And I'll tell you, he came in and the first thing he did was build relationships with his teammates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he did that um, off the field and on the field. He was the first guy at practice, last guy to leave. He's out taking ground balls when he's going to get paid to be a pitcher. I mean, he's, you know, Doing all the little things. So I think just people, again, that are constantly trying to get better at everything they do are the people that I admire the most. Mm. You know, um, they seem to be the most successful. The, the people that get complacent and don't look to get an advantage are, are, are the ones that, that really suffer. I went to a leadership conference a couple of years ago in Atlanta, two summers ago in Atlanta and got to hear John Alexander speak, who's written numerous leadership books and the one piece of, you know, advice that stuck out the most for me and really put a different outlook on it is he said, you know, the problem with people now is we tell everybody when you get knocked down to get back up and he's saying in his voice, he's really good at setting it up. And, and, uh, he says, that's the dumbest crap I've ever heard. He goes, when you get knocked down, don't get back up because when you get knocked down, learn why the hell you got knocked down before you get back up. (laughs) There it is. And if you learn why you got knocked down, you're not going to get knocked down the next time or maybe not as often. So, I mean, it was just that, that piece there is something that, that really stuck with me and a quality of people that, yeah. Hey man, don't just, don't just keep going, learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, when we lose a ball game, what, what are the things and not the physical errors? What are the things that maybe we could have done better to prepare for something? Um, 
you know, the, those are the things where the most successful people, I think, are the ones looking to get an edge, trying to find a way to get better in everything they do and really learning from the times that they have those setbacks. Gosh. Okay. Last thing I got for you, man, that was great advice on that one too. Uh, what maybe is the best advice you've ever been given, Eric? And then what other advice do you have for coaches? Again, you've got youth, high school, college, professional guys paying attention, but from where you sit, what's some of the best advice? Lead them down a better path. Yeah, I think, you know, the advice that I got was some of those things I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think for, for, for coaches out there is really spend the time and be intentional in building relationships, mm. communicate and, and build relationships because that's, what's going to carry you. And, and I learned back working at that grocery store, you know, 15 years ago or whatever that was from probably the best manager that I've ever been a part of as far as managing people, Scott Schmedke is his name. And, uh, I, I realized from him because uh, to be honest, I didn't want to be there from 10 o'clock to six o'clock, you know, 10 at night to six o'clock in the morning. I mean, I wasn't real motivated to be at my job, but I, there was something about him that made me excel, get better and work to a different level. And I think as coaches, that's how we can be very successful is getting guys to play better than they are. We want the good players to be great. And we want to get the average players to be good. If we can do that, we're going to be pretty successful. And I think that the way that you do that is, is by getting them to believe in what you're telling them. And that word trust comes up again right here. Yeah. You know, um, they trust what you're doing. They want, we all heard the term, they're going to run through a wall for you. If you can get them to play at a higher level, you're going to ultimately achieve, you know, more wins than losses. And you're ultimately going to achieve those long-term successes that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. and, and those kids are really going to appreciate you because then they're going to go on and be successful at the next level, be successful fathers and husbands and, and, you know, just be prepared for life as our school motto says. An interview, another one I don't want to end, but Borbs, man, you, you have offered so much. And I just, again, so thankful for, your transparency and your willingness to share. And, and I know you have a servant's heart. So the ability to offer some of that stuff through this podcast is, is an awesome opportunity for us on behalf of the association. So again, we, we appreciate you being part of the ABCA, certainly being a champion for what we're trying to do out in the coaching community. And uh, Borbs, thanks for taking time and jumping on the call with us. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Good luck to all the coaches and hope to see you all in Dallas. Coaches, thanks for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our job is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about our coaching fraternity. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, do that through Twitter at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members. We'd like to hear from some new members and continue to find ways to work together at growing the game of baseball. Huge thanks to the sponsor of our Dugout Cheddar shows, our great partners over at Rawlings. If you're looking for more information about what they're doing for baseball and this coaching fraternity, head over to their website, Rawlings.com. That's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And thanks again, guys, for your support. As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls on the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.